we're going to get after it this morning. But first, we're going to pray together. So let's do that. Father, Lord, you're the greatest of all time. Lord, I say that understanding, uh, God, that there's none like you, there's never been any like you, and there never will be any like you, Lord. And I just, Lord, I'm so grateful this morning that we can come together as a body, as a people, God, and we can humble ourselves, we can lay ourselves right in front of you, God, and submit ourselves to your kingdom, to your will, to your way. God, I love that we can study the scriptures together, God, Lord, that we can look into your word that you left for us, that you gave to us. And God, thank you that it's not just words on a page, but like you said and gave to us, it's active and living, God. It's living, it's breathed by you. So I I pray this morning, God, Lord, that you would help us to eliminate the distractions in our hearts and in our minds, God, that you allow us to to focus in, to hone in on your word and what you might have for us this morning as a body, as as a people group, as families, as believers. And Lord Jesus, I, I just I adore you. And God, I, I'll never understand the limitlessness of your love and why you would pursue rotten sinners like us, God, but I love you for it. We desperately need you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, we'll be in the book of Nehemiah chapter 5. Now, last week we talked about in Nehemiah chapter 4, how they were building the wall and there was some opposition to the work and how those that were speaking words of destruction or words of doubt or words to to scare the the, the people of God and the, the body of God in Jerusalem, they took a break from the work. And we don't know exactly how long there um, but, but they, they paused the work. They kind of stepped back and they said, whoa, 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 all these people are saying that we can't do this and that we're going to die. All these people are saying that, we, that there's no hope for us, right? So we all need to abandon post and go back home and just kick it for a few more years till we kick the bucket. That was kind of their, their framework. And that's when Nehemiah stood up and he said, do not be afraid. I'm, I'm just giving you a snapshot if you weren't, weren't here last week. So there were rumors, there were talk, there was words of doubt and fear cast over their lives as they were building the wall. And Nehemiah reigns them back in and says these words, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers and for your sons and for your daughters and for your wives and for your homes. So get busy about working in the kingdom and fighting for righteousness. So if you're in Nehemiah 5, that's where we pick up. We're going to read, and, and if, if I had to put a title, and you, you guys know I don't do that very often, but if I have a title on today, it would be Our Most Powerful Obstacle is Ourselves. If we, it, it, last week, we talked about what it was like for those outside the camp to talk about us. Last week, we talked about what it was like for those outside of the situation and, and on the peripheral, really, of our, the margins of our lives, speaking in and speaking doubts, and how sometimes we bought into that word. We bought into those lies. We talked about that. But now, this week, I want to give you a different perspective. And Nehemiah is going to lead us through chapter 5, giving us the perspective of what it looked like inside the camp. So 5 and 1 says this. Now there arose a great outcry of the people, of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. 
There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And then there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our field and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children is their children. We are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in, the, in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. I want you to hear this. There's three sections of people who begin to cry out from inside the camp. And this is the thought that dropped on me as I'm reading Nehemiah 5. They have put so much emphasis on what they were doing, on the walls they were building, which we, we're building the kingdom, we're walking through this. But at some point they began to neglect what was going on inside the camp. Do you hear me this morning? At some point, the focus was so outward that the, the health, if you will, of the people began to deteriorate. The morale of the people began to deteriorate. They obviously made bad choices with money, bad choices with influence. And so morale, influence, all these things inside the camp began to deteriorate. I've seen that in the church before. Where our focus is on so oftentimes what somebody else is doing or what, what, you know, uh, you know, what, what they're doing over here at this church or that church, or there, there's all these other things. that The internal health of the church, the spiritual maturity of the church actually begins to atrophy. And, and my prayer for you guys and my prayer for myself as we read through Nehemiah chapter 5 is that we get a burden not only to build the wall, not only to do the work of the gospel in our community, but also to preserve the spiritual health of our church and to take care of those in the body on our left and on our right that may be more needy than we are. And let me make this clear. When I talk about needy this morning, I'm not talking about, you know, if, if you've got two cars and they've got three or if you've got two lake houses and they got one, but I'm talking about needy, the poor, wretched, spiritual one in here this morning that's like me most of the time, that our prayer life is kind of stinking and our time in the Word has kind of been so-so and yada, 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 right? So when I say needy this morning, I'm talking about every single one of you. I'm not talking about the guy that stands on the corner asking for five bucks. I'm talking about those who in our spirit look worse than he does at times. That was free. All right. I'm going to kind of give you a snapshot of what we're dealing with here. Five, two, landless laborers. They were starving inside the camp. Number three, there were, loner, there were landowners who were in hock. Number four through five, there were those who were bankrupt after becoming enslaved or they were sending their, children's, their children as payment on their loans. Listen, they were so outwardly focused on the enemy that they forgot to support, rebuild, and fight for the less fortunate and the downcast to their left and to their right. This morning, we're, we're, we're going to press further into this, but we're going to deal with injustice this morning. I'll just say it like this. I, I'm going to move on. I'm, I don't want to get too... I really want to get to this one part of my notes. I'm trying to jump forward, but I'm going to stop myself. All right. Next point. God is not satisfied with self-centered religion. Do you hear me this morning? We must hear the cries of injustice. Listen, if Nehemiah had not had his ear to the people... Dads, I'm, I'm, I'm going to press in for a minute. Moms, if, if our ears are not to our family, if we're just kind of going through the motions... Letting the TV raise our kids, right? Letting the teachers raise our kids. And, 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 and our, ear, our ear is not pressed against the climate of culture and the climate of our children, the climate of our marriage. 
then it can begin to atrophy. It can begin to deteriorate. And that's what was happening inside the city. And praise God, there was a leader like Nehemiah who had his ear pressed against the people. Listen. God is not satisfied with self-centered religion. Listen, with the best of intentions at times, and I'm just going to hit this, with the best of intentions, we turn inward and we focus on our own spirituality and how great of a prayer we are and how, how great of a preacher maybe that we are, or how great of a worshiper that we are, or how great of a follower that we are. We turn kind of inward and we look at ourselves and we begin to build our lives on ourselves and how good we are with God rather than focusing on those around us and serving and pouring into those around us. But God, listen, I want you to hear this. God is not satisfied with self-centered religion. 1 John 3, 17-18. If, if you have your Bible, you can go there. You can just jot this down and go back later. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed or truth. The apostle here is saying this. He's saying, stop talking so much and get to work. <laughs> right? We, we, we hit on this a little bit a few weeks ago. Just we, We're quick to talk about what we're going to do, but when it talks about putting feet to the fire, when it talks about the rubber meeting the road, sometimes we're hesitant and we draw back. But in reality, I want you to hear the weight of this passage. Listen, stop talking about what you're going to do and get busy. Because there is need all around us. Do you hear me this morning? There's need all around us. Proverbs 14, 31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. I want you to see something in this passage from Proverbs 14, 31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults him, uh, insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Listen, if you look at another colored person with disdain, someone that their, their race is different from you and they have a different shade of, of color than you, or you look at somebody in a different socioeconomical class that maybe they don't have as much money of you or maybe they have more money than you, and you look with disdain, you are looking at disdain to their maker, not to them. I want you to hear me this morning. If you look at another political party, another side of the tracks... Another church, another person that believes differently than you. Maybe somebody that doesn't believe anything like you at all and someone that assaults your faith. Even when you look at them with disdain or hatred in your heart, you're really hating their maker. Be careful. Be careful. We justify our feelings with all kind of slogans, don't we? We're just different. So that, that gives you permission. At what point, and I'm going to say this because you guys know I love you, and if you don't, you just don't know me, right? At what point is it going to be, are we going to give ourselves permission to reach across political lines, to reach across racial lines, and to begin to build the kingdom of God? Reach across denominational barriers, traditional gaps, even in our own church. I'm transparent sometimes, so I'm just going to go here, okay? But, but even in our own church at times, there, there's people who say, well, I, no, I, can't, I, can't, I can't worship this way, or, or I can't worship this way, or, or I wouldn't go this way, I'd go this way. And, and, and there's times that there's division, even in our, in our own family, in our own church, there's division, there's tension over where God's calling us to go as a people. Can, can I tell you this morning? 
God is not satisfied with self-centered religion. I don't care if you, you I, I, listen, if you're visiting this morning, if you're at your church, if you're so focused on yourself and how you worship, or who you like to hear speak, who you like to hear sing, if you're so focused inwardly that you can't celebrate the work of God in other places, then you need to repent. Listen, if you're so focused on your own people group, your own political party, your own class, that you can't undergird and celebrate and love on anybody and everybody from any other one, listen, you need to repent. It's not easy to swallow, but it's good medicine, I promise. Because whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Listen, whoever insults Someone, can we just say, ladies, someone that's not like you on your level or your perceived level, when you insult them, you're insulting their maker. Man, and listen. Yeah, I am. Okay. I, I, I hit on this all the time because it's the easy example because I'm guilty of it, right? Like we go to a restaurant or we go somewhere and we expect to be served because that's what they do, right? Someone at a restaurant, they serve me. But if they don't serve me the way that I want to be served, then I kind of get ticked off and I, and I show myself, right? I mean, I would never do that, right? Somebody cuts us off in traffic and our, our response is just sometimes nastiness in the flesh. But I, what, I, I really believe that we would begin to treat each other differently in the context of our family and the world differently if we realized that when we thought that evil thought about that person or, or we thought those or said those nasty things when they were nowhere around or to be found because that's how most people do it. They're not brave enough to actually say it to your face. They have to go behind your back. So, so when we're involved in that, what if we really understood and believed that we were insulting and we were tearing down our maker? That we were wounding Christ once again. Christ is... He's died for your anger on the cross. He's died for our cultural differences on the cross. He's died for all of those things already on the cross. So listen, I want to ask you, believer, why are we putting him back up there over and over and over again? I'm going to read the verse one more time, then I'm going to move on. Proverbs 14, 31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Our response to injustice will either honor God or dishonor God. Because that's what was going on. Nehemiah looked back at the people and he realized that they were, they were laying heavy taxes on the people. These people that are working, some of you are sitting there going, yeah, I know what that feels like. They were laying heavy taxes on the people and, and, and there, there was injustice within the city, within the family, within the people. And, and this was his response. And, and, and this blows me away. Well, no, I'm going to hit this first. Stick with me. Injustice that we may consider trivial or petty is still injustice and still a slap in the face of God. There is no such thing as sweeping it under the rug. Listen, a dishonest boss, an unethical co-worker, a corrupt system, anyone abusing their power for personal gain, bullying, gossiping, listen, all of that is injustice that we watch go on on a daily basis. Listen, when you close your mouth and say nothing, you are just as guilty. 
a dishonest boss, an unethical co-worker, a corrupt system, anyone abusing their power for personal gain, bullying, gossiping, the list could go on and on and on. And you say, TJ, those things are petty. Those things are a slap in the face of God. Let me unpack it a little further. Then there's injustice that doesn't seem so trivial, but insurmountable, whether it be sex trafficking, orphan children, the neglected elderly, domestic violence, abortion, you name it. Everywhere you look, there is injustice. We have the capacity to move past it like it's not there or to move in action. You hear me this morning? We have the ability to move past it like it's not there. When we see injustice within the walls of our church, when we see someone tearing down the body of Christ, or seeing someone tear someone who's not even a believer down, which is, I would say is worse. We have the ability to move past it like we don't see it, or to move in action. I want to be a part of a people group that want to move in action. Amen? This was Nehemiah's response. When he began to see the injustice, the landless laborer starving, and the owners of the vineyards and the fields in hock, and, and men and women having to sell their children into slavery to pay back their debts, this was his response. I want you to hear this. Nehemiah 5, 6. I was very angry when I heard their outcry. In these words, I took counsel with myself and brought charges against the nobles and the officials and said to them, listen, for me, this is kind of like that moment where he's like, I just got to step away so I don't hurt somebody. You know, he's like, I just, I was angry, so I just had to kind of talk to myself for a minute. I'm sure no parents in the room have ever had that conversation with themselves. Listen, I'm really mad. I'm just going to step away, and then we're going to talk about this, right? I see kind of this fatherly thing come out of Nehemiah. Listen to what he says. You are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we are as... We, we, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers and we who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could find not a word to say. Listen, there's going to be a day in some capacity when God gives us new life. When we're born again, when we've been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, that not only are we going to sit on the sidelines and participate in church, but we are going to begin to move and take action in ministry. Meaning that he will put things on your heart that you will need to step up. He will put you in positions, in places to step up and be the voice of righteousness. With tenderness, with compassion, with the grace of God. But what if God put you in your position at work so you might see what you've seen and speak out against it? What if he's put you where he's put you? In your church? What if he's put you where he's put you in your church so that you might be the one as a member to stand up and say, hey, how is what we're doing right here advance the gospel? Why are we wasting money on this? Why are, why are we? Yeah. Right? Listen, I'm okay getting uncomfortable with you. I have to say these things to myself before I ever say them. You have to look at them. What if he's put you where he's put you in your family? So you might be the voice of reason, the one to take the licks of love, the sacrifice of suffering for the name and glory of Christ, so that you might be able to step up and say, hey, what if we went towards him? I can know all this other stuff. Is, it seems popular and it's really pulling at us, but what if we went this way towards purity and towards righteousness and towards holiness? God has put you where you are for a reason. We said it in the very first week that we started Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a cupbearer for a purpose. God sovereignly put him there so that he could be close to the king, so that he could take action. And he could not stay silent. Listen, hear me this morning. What if you lost your job? What if everybody in your church got ticked off at you because you 
you pointed out something that was an injustice? What if people in your family got mad at you because you pointed at something and said, that's an injustice, that's not Christ-honoring or God-glorifying, that's wrong? What if? Here's the question I pose after that. Is Christ enough? Because I want to challenge you, if that's all you had left, he would be enough. We are to deliver justice. He had to stand up. Micah 6.8 says this. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. I want you to hear this. Five, six, in, uh, verse 5 and 6 where Nehemiah said, Listen, I'm, I'm really angry and I'm going to say some things. He rebukes the nobles. He rebukes the people. Okay? Listen to Matthew 21, 12 through 13. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the, and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Listen, righteous anger is okay. Do you hear me this morning? Some would call it indignation. I want to call it fury this morning. Is that Okay. When I see the elderly, elderly neglected, when I see abortion propaganda, when I see children orphaned, when I, when I see religion taking priority over the gospel, when I see injustice, it, I, I want to know and I want you to know as a church that it's okay that you just get furious, okay? I don't know at what point in, 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 in church history in, 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 that we became, like, to be a Christian was to be passive, right? To be a Christian just meant that we're quiet and we're good and we sing hymns, right? Or worship songs. Let me add that. To be a Christian means that we just kind of keep our mouths open. We, we take our licks and we go along. No, there is a day, and it is now, I believe it is now, that it's okay to be furious, you see, TJ, I don't agree with you. Okay, don't agree with me. You disagree with the Bible and take it up with God. He's a lot holier than I am. When's the last time you were furious? And I had to ask myself reading this. I had to ask myself that same question when I was reading this. When was the last time I was furious? When was the last time that I saw someone cheat, lie, or steal, or, or knew about an injustice going on? When was the last time that I, I saw these things or heard a news report and I didn't just click past it or didn't just listen to it because that's who I listened to? When's the last time that I just really got furious and angry to the point that there had to be action? When's the last time as a church that we were furious? Furious at injustice. I, I say that to say I want, I want you to know you have permission to be furious. You have permission to speak up. You, you have permission to be a voice for Christ in a largely Christless generation. You have permission this morning. Do you hear me? You have permission. 7 through 13, I want to read this to you because this is really cool. I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and officials and I said to them, you're exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, We are as far we are as far as we are we, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you even sell our brothers so that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, The thing that you are doing is not good. 
Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemy? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Listen, Nehemiah said, we are going to right this situation. Let us abandon the exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, and wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Do you hear what Nehemiah is saying? Nehemiah is standing up in front of the most influential men in town, and he is saying, listen, give it all back. (laughs) I don't know about you, but most people with a position of power, if somebody stands in front of them and says, hey, you give all that back, it usually doesn't go so well, right? Right? But I want you to hear this. Then they said, and I love it, there's no discussion. There's no discussion. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. Listen, I love this. I love this picture. Nehemiah stands up. I could just see him. Maybe he didn't point his finger. Maybe he had a sword. I don't know. Give it all back. In my mind, I think about some dialogue to where they kind of negotiate and try to justify. Yeah, I know that we put this heavy tax on them. We'll give half back, right? No. Their response was, we'll give it all back. Listen, what if you're the Nehemiah? What if the unrighteousness around you is just waiting on you to have the boldness to stand up and speak out against it? So often we are, we're afraid to speak out. We're afraid, we're afraid to speak out thinking that we'll be rejected. And you may be. You'll identify with Christ. You'll receive a reward in heaven. Deal with it. There'll be times that you'll be rejected. There's times you'll be scorned and laughed at. But listen, there will be times that it's the Spirit of God leading you to say something to those who are in position greater than you that will cause them to repent. I said at the beginning that the title was Our, great, Our Most Powerful Obstacle is Ourselves. Step up. Step up. Get angry. And begin to speak about the injustice that you see around you. You have the permission. We're about to close in just a minute. I'm going to take you through one more point of Scripture. But I want you to catch that. I don't want you to miss that. When I was reading through that, in my mind I was expecting... A rebuttal. I was expecting friction. I was expecting from that that they, you know, I mean, you see it all through the Old Testament. They throw somebody in a lion's den for disobeying or saying something against the grain. They, you know, they kick somebody out. They stone people. I mean, that, that was the response, and their response was, you're right. You're right. Let's give it all back. Who are you this morning? Where are you? Which seat are you sitting in? Where you see the injustice, and you've been put in a position to where you can speak to it, What if it's the words coming out of your mouth that cause those around you to repent? Nehemiah 5, 14 through 19. We're going to wrap up. We must give what justice demands, 14 through 19. Moreover, from that time that I was appointed to be the governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor, The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily rations 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. Listen, so where are we going to wrap up today? Because of the stand that Nehemiah took, his life had to change. He looked at those in position over him. He said, hey, laying this heavy tax on people, 
It's wrong. You're burdening the people. So that when Nehemiah was in a position of power, he didn't take the governor's rations, which meant that the tax on the people could have paid for his food, could have paid for all of his stuff. He could have lived like a king. He said, I'm not going to accept it. His lifestyle changed based on the conviction that he had. Listen, I want to ask you this morning, if you're following Christ, has your life changed? Are you deciding to do things differently? Are you making decisions and choices that are a reflection of the internal change? Are you standing up against things that you once didn't stand up against? Are you, are you pursuing Christ in a way that you never pursued before? I want to ask you that. Nehemiah's life changed. He lived differently in response to his conviction. This morning, are you living differently in response to the conviction of Christ in your life? We all see injustice. We've all been put in a position to do something. Every single one of us. In some capacity. So here's my last question. I'm going to close. Are you going to allow the conviction of Christ in your life, the glory of Christ in your life, the grace of Christ in your life to radically change how you live it out? Because we could go through the motions and we could live 20, 30, 40, 50 years, whatever, and then we could kick the bucket and you know, be dust. Or we could determine in our hearts that we're going to follow Christ with everything that we have and that our life will be a response to the gospel. Our life will be a testimony to the glory of Christ and with our life we will stand against injustice. That's what he's asking. I want to pray for you and then we'll respond this morning. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, it's true. It's true, Lord. We can look in every direction and see injustice. But Lord, you gave us feet for a reason. You gave us hands for a reason. You gave us a mouth for a reason, Lord. It was to get busy. It was to be a force in our community, a force in our family for the glory and sake of the gospel. So my prayer today, God, I pray that no one would leave today feeling condemned, Lord. I pray that no one would, God, today feeling legalism, God, but I pray that everyone would leave today, God, feeling a weight of conviction, knowing that we have to do something, God, in whatever capacity that is, that we have to stand up for righteousness, God, in our circles, in our church, in our community, in our country, and in the world. God, we just want to thank you this morning for saving our lives, Lord, and we pray that you help us not waste them. Lord, we fall in obedience before you this morning. We love you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.